This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I am Jenna Ermold and I'm joined today by fellow podcast host, Andy Santanello. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Jenna? I'm, I'm excited uh, for this episode and feel really lucky to have two guests today. One is Dr. Kelly Cressman, who is one of CDP and USU's very own senior military behavioral health psychologists, and also is one of our lead trainers and consultants in prolonged exposure therapy for PTSD. Uh, so we are thrilled you're here, Kelly. How you doing? Doing good. Ready to go. All right. And also, we are joined by one of our all-time favorite VA colleagues, Dr. Sonia Norman, who is the director of the PTSD consultation program through the executive branch of the National Center for PTSD. So welcome also to Practical for Your Practice, Sonia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. So today we wanted to bring this group of folks together um, as, as individuals who are really passionate and involved in, in consultation programs, both for DOD and VA, but also obviously our extension to the community as well, um, to really talk about how can we lend some support to providers in our consultation programs and, and those of you who might be listening to help manage the impact of what is going on, all the ongoing events in Afghanistan um, and how those events might be impacting uh, patients and clients that are currently engaged in EBPs, again, whether that's in, through VA or DOD or in a community setting, um, and wanted to talk about some practical tips uh, and also maybe some resources that are available um, as well out there. So, um, Again, it's it's really understandable that there are a lot of reactions from veterans. There are a lot of reactions from, uh, you know, other military connected clients, active duty National Guard and family members, um, many of whom sacrificed a great deal um, over the course of the, the past really 20 years, um, 15 years. So, you know, what are we hearing in consultation? I guess, first of all, what's coming up? How what kinds of themes are you hearing? Um, you know. We'll we'll talk more about how we're addressing those, but maybe kind of like lay the groundwork a little bit for for the problems um, and and how this is being expressed in consultation specifically. Sure, I'm happy to jump in and get started. Um, I think we're being asked a lot for resources for how to help veterans, um, how to talk with veterans, figure out what they need. And I think another big thing that's coming up is I'm reeling from this too. I have a clinician and having my own reaction and I'm struggling and I'm in a room with someone trying to figure out their reaction and kind of having this parallel process. How do I cope with that? I'm really glad you said that um, because I really was very hesitant about doing this podcast at all because I feel so sad and angry and, you know, disappointed and, and worried. I have so many feelings about Afghanistan myself, and I 
wasn't there. <laughs> I, I didn't go there. My spouse is a military, I have a military spouse, but he didn't go there either. He was in Iraq. And I, I think, you know, it's really hard to struggle with something yourself and then at the same time, try to help clients struggle with it. So, you know, it's, I appreciate uh, you saying that. I think one of the things we have to do when we talk to clients is figure out where our own head is at. And, and for me, part of that is pulling at, pulling apart um, how I feel about this politically and, and from a humanitarian standpoint, from how my clients might be feeling that way too, politically and humanitarian and, and all of those things, from how it's triggering their PTSD symptoms and how it's um, causing them to um, feel more distress related to events that they experienced in Afghanistan. Yeah, I completely agree, Kelly. I think we really need to have that that time to look inside ourselves and figure out our own reactions so we don't start imposing things on our clients that are ours and not theirs, right? Right. So that we can really, you know, be with them, present with them, um, responding to them because we've processed our own feelings elsewhere and we've turned to our own supports and we've done our, you know, our own thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's that's super important when something is as emotionally charged as this. And I think that's that's very similar to, um, you know, advice or suggestions we give around military culture in general. When when world events happen and um, when we see changes in deployment status and things like that, it's important that we remember we're kind of humans first <laughs> with, um, and acknowledge that we have these beliefs and that's OK or, or even sometimes assumptions and biases. But we need to really spend, sit with that and, and figure out what that is um, and, you know, be able to process those and, and talk about them with our colleagues, but make sure that they're not coming into the room, because uh, that's obviously when they can be a little more detrimental, potentially, if we're imposing that on a client that doesn't really you know, kind of align with that. And similarly, I think we're seeing, um, you know, some clients more impacted than others. Uh, so uh, not making an assumption that just because somebody served during that time frame or, or, you know, deployed to Afghanistan, that there's some sort of way that they're going to present or feel or, you know, struggle with. And so, you know, we don't, not quite getting into actionable intel yet, but, you know, how have you worked with consultees around this piece? Like when they're asking, and, you know, I think we've heard anxiety about it. Like, I'm not sure what I'm going to yeah. do when my client comes in um, and X, Y, Z. What have been some of the ways you've worked with that in consultation? Something like this happens and there are lots of clients coming in with the same issue. You know, so lots of clients are coming in for our consultees and, and they're getting triggered by what's happening in Afghanistan. They want to talk about it. So uh, I think our clinicians sometimes get the idea that because they're seeing it session after session, there must be a consistent answer for how we should deal with it. Um, you know, there's a way. Like, and, and, you know, comparisons have been made that, you know, this is kind of like Vietnam. We should know how to deal with this. But, but it's really a unique stressor. And more than that, our clients are unique. So I, I think for the people that have been asking me about it, what I've been trying to get them to do is take a step back and think about how much they know about working with PTSD symptoms and how much they know about how to help people who are getting triggered by anything that happens in their current lives. And, and, and that can sometimes quell this idea that this is a special case. I mean, it is a special case, I think, but I think 
more than that, we can fall back on the skills that we already have and the knowledge that we already have to be validating our clients, to be letting them have a space to be angry, um, to be paying attention to grief, because a lot of folks are coming in just grieving about people that were lost, grieving about the process that's going on right now, grieving for people they met, grieving for their own experiences. And, and we can sometimes try to jump into the content rather than kind of stepping back and going, wow, this is, this is grief. This is sadness. This is, um, these are PTSD symptoms. And I know how to work with those. Kelly, I'm so glad that you said and use the language of, of making room for grief and making room for anger. Cause kind of one of the, I think embedded assumptions in the question of uh, what do I do in situations like this is how do I fix it? Mm-hmm. How do I make people the, feel better? Yeah. What's the intervention that I should use to make this better? And, and, you know, in your answer there, I think, and this has kind of been already put in the room with this podcast is not forgetting to be a human speak into another human being. And so one of the questions I had for, for both, both of you is, do you have any thoughts about, you know, you're a human being going in with your reactions that maybe you've had some time to process and here you're sitting with another human being who's got this, you know, history of maybe trauma, maybe moral injury, and now this other stressor, um, they're coming and expressing all this stuff. And you're thinking, I got to fix this. What thoughts do you have about how to sort of put that aside and then reorient to just kind of being in the room with the person. Yeah. Yeah. I think that comes up so much in consultation where um, clinicians reach out to us or like, how do I fix this? And um, what's amazing is when you remind them that the primary thing they can do is listen and ask questions and gather information, how much pressure that lifts off them. Um, and, you know, cause those are skills that we all have as clinicians, you know, we, as humans, but I think especially honed as clinicians, and that's really what our clients need. And I think stepping back from um, this idea that everyone's having the same problem and you need to fix it, but rather that everyone's reacting differently. And, you know, in VA, we're seeing that Afghanistan veterans, but we're also seeing veterans from Vietnam, from all Mm -hmm. eras who are reacting to this. And, um, you know, a a client will come in okay one day, but then something else in the news triggers them. And the next time they come in, they're, they're really struggling. And so what I just keep reminding clinicians to do is just check in, ask some questions, you know, how are you doing with this? Some people are upset. I know there's a lot in the news about it. How are you doing? Um, who are you talking to? What, what are you doing to cope with this? You know, and just gathering that information. And I think when you take that time to gather information and to really listen and check in, then that next step of whether they just need validation, whether they need some special intervention, that comes to you as a clinician. But that first step is just to, to be present, to listen, to ask some questions. I think the idea that clinicians sometimes come in with, and maybe we've given them this because we hammer them so much when we train them that, you know, you need to follow the protocol and you need to do things in a certain way. And so they come in saying, how can I get the therapy back on track? This whole Afghanistan thing has really thrown my therapy off. And, you know, the next thing I want to say to them is, no, this is the therapy. This is not off track. This is, this is it. This is where you need to be because this is what your client's coming in with. And yes, I do want you to follow the protocol, but you don't have to, you know, ignore what's going on in the room with you. And, and, and remember that, you know, when, when people have anything that happens that sort of disrupts what you were planning to do the next session, we have to evaluate, you know, how we're going to respond to that and how we're going to help the client manage those feelings and, and process them. And sometimes 
it might mean taking a couple of sessions from the protocol or even, you know, hope. And I think if you do this, you, you'll be able to connect it back with what you were doing prior to the time they came in with it eventually. But it might mean taking a break from PE or CPT. Um, that sounds like you're suggesting, that. Kelly, that the EBP police are not going to come to your yeah, office yeah. <laughs> and take you away and take well, Now they are. We just we alerted now, them. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I think that's how I think about that check-in as well in terms of like you're sort of as a clinician using your clinical judgment to figure out like, okay, is a check-in what this person needs now and then we continue the protocol or is there more going on here that we really need to spend some time in and maybe today we take a break from the protocol Mm -hmm. and really spend it on on what's happening now. And you're sort of taking those minutes where you're hearing from, from the person and how they're doing and what's going on to make those decisions and um, and I, I, I completely agree, Kelly, that, you know, we don't want to derail the therapy completely that ultimately we're dealing with is likely grist for the mill of the protocol right. but to take that time that you need with the patient person. I, I think the um, maybe some of the anxiety or distress that we're hearing from providers, which I understand too, is here you are working really hard with a client to help them find some balance around, you know, events that have happened and to create meaning that they can kind of wrap their head around. And it's like this, you know, this sort of thorn gets that gets thrown in. And the the thing that keeps coming up is this idea of, you know, this was all for naught, all the sacrifice I did, there's no meaning in it anymore. You know, it was everything's, you know, was futile. And then and I think, you know, understandably, that's where some providers are going, oh, you know, I don't I don't know what to do with that. Um, how have those conversations gone for you as you've consulted with with folks or, you know, thoughts around that? Um, you know, I think we want to help people make meaning. Right. I think that's the bottom line of this struggle is right now they're they're asking, what was this all for? What did this mean? Did it mean anything? You know, um, this, uh, we talked a little bit about moral injury earlier, that sort of like, was it worth it? You know, the, the suffering, the things that were lost. Um, and so I think that's maybe our challenge as clinicians is to help people make meaning of that time of their service. And maybe that's asking some questions about, you know, while they were there, like, you know, the Afghans were safe, the U.S. was safe, right? Like sort of helping them find those kinds of things um, that they did their job. Um, And then, you know, the other thing that um, we've been thinking a lot about is sort of like this moment in history feels like the end of the story because we don't know the future yet, but it's not the end of the story. It's a moment in time. And um, what we know is that history marches along and that the seeds that we planted, they come back and they bloom. And so all those people who got educations because, you know, our service members were there, all those people who, you know, got trained and, you know, we'll see where that all goes. But, the, you know, so I think partly it's helping instill hope and, and you know, helping people reorient a bit. You know, I, I find as someone who didn't serve myself, I can't lay this out and just say it because it doesn't ring true to my clients. I have to ask questions and sort of help, help them have these discoveries. So I think that's really important. So I can't just be like, no, your service was meaningful. And they're like, you're right. It was great. You know, that, it doesn't work like that. But certainly, you know, we have the skills to, to help people kind of um, connect those dots for themselves. I, I agree with that. And I, I think even more the, the looking at what this means about 
the person sitting in front of you? What does it mean to you that you're having this distress about what's going on right now? I think threads and needle or walks on the edge of a knife or whatever metaphor you want to use where, you know, there's peril on both sides, <laughs> but there's, you know, you can so easily slip into talking about political issues with your client that can enrage and, you know, depress all of us in, you know, one way or the other. And I think pulling it back from, you know, what does it mean that we left Afghanistan, sort of the big picture, you know, whether, you know, people are talking about being a failure or, or not, or we should have done this, we should have done it a long time ago, whatever the issue is, and moving it back to what does it mean to you sitting here in the room? You know, how are, the, you know, you're having strong feelings about this, and, and that means to me that it means something to you, that it's hitting your core values and, and your beliefs about um, how you should be in the world, how the world should be, you know, how is this conflicting and how, you know, how can you move forward from this in a way that's consistent with those values, even if what's happening out there isn't, even if it doesn't match up. And I think that's such a harder question for all of us to figure out. Um, but I think even asking the question of clients, if you don't have a good answer, or even if they don't think of a good answer that day, I think um, reminding them that they can find something adaptive and meaningful to move forward with, maybe not in this moment, but as we go forward in therapy, as we continue to process this and talk about it, it can pull it back from that precipice of, you know, this, this big, overwhelming international political issue that gets people so upset. Uh, Kelly, the other thing that what you were saying made me think about is just the validation is so important. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, people are struggling. Yeah. Of course, they're worried about, you know, people they cared about who are still in Afghanistan. Like, of course, they're asking questions about the meaning of things. Um, so it's okay to be there. You know, certainly if someone's PTSD, depression is going through the roof, if they're struggling in other ways mm -hmm. with functioning and just feeling overwhelmed, you know, but we want to be there with the right resources and tools and therapy, but, you know, to some extent, just giving them permission to feel what they're feeling, I think can also be powerful. And I think also letting them know that you don't have the expectation that they need to stop feeling that way. Right. Also that, you know, exactly. you can feel this way until you don't feel this way anymore. And we'll work with that and figure out what to do with it and how to, how to, you know, walk forward. That shifting in perspective taking, just even in the moment to all of the things that are horrible right now about this moment or looking at the real, real, real big picture where everything seems kind of meaningless and then sort of moving that lens into what's personal, but also moving it back and forth in time. I really love mm -hmm. what you said, um, Sonia, about kind of if, if you have the permission of the client and they're willing to go back to their time and service and you know, can you think of when you were actually there moments where it felt like in that moment you were, you were doing something meaningful, you know, and maybe being able to carry that, that value forward. And I love, I love what you said about this seems like the end. And in some ways, you know, it certainly is, you know, we've, we've left Afghanistan, um, but it's not, you know, the person, that veteran, that service member is still right in front of you. You know, there's still life left to be lived for them. And so if they can bring that value forward, maybe not right in this moment, what they need to do maybe in this moment is be with the feelings they're feeling and have the space to do that. 
But also with that, you know, not to push those feelings aside, but in addition to that, helping them maybe touch that possibility that there could be the opportunity to bring some of those values into the current moment and in the future sounds like it could be certainly really powerful. I think values are a really important part of this. Yeah, I really agree, Andy. I think part of what we're seeing is maybe veterans and service members feeling so helpless or trying to control things they can't or feeling frustrated about the things they can't control. And there is so much that they can't control. But I think like you're saying, kind of what are these values that, you know, are, are causing them so much distress because they're, they feel violated right now. What are those? And maybe there's certain things they can't do to fix, you know, the situation, but maybe there's other ways they can express those values, whether it's, you know, something around Afghanistan, like, you know, writing letters or being part of organizations that are helping bring people out or, but maybe it's something unrelated, but it expresses that same value. Like there's a way they can help to keep people people safe in their own community and, you know, um, in their own family there, you know, and I think that's something that we as clinicians can help with is help identify those values and help people find meaningful ways to express them now. So kind of take those, um, the, the things that they valued and look at ways to operationalize and, and move forward with them here. And I, and I love those examples too, because service, for many military connected clients and veterans is an incredibly important part of, yes, I was deployed, but while I was there, I did all these other service things that made, gave my deployment balance, you know, that made me be able to come out of it thinking about these really positive influences I had. And how do you, how do you take that forward in a concrete way and find opportunities that get at those same values? I think that's a really great uh, tangible kind of actionable intel actually uh, to move forward with too. We, we've had some providers um, and I think we've, we've tapped this a little bit, but have this sort of knee jerk reaction to want to, you know, we've talked about, you know, we want to fix this. We want to reduce the pain. And I've, and I've heard in a couple consultation calls, um, you know, wanting to like reduce exposure to what the, the, you know, what's happening on the news and reduce exposure to to certain things that are upsetting them. Um, Which I think again, is in, is in the right, the meaning behind it is I don't want you to suffer and feel this distress. So here's a, here's something I'm going to tell you to do that maybe will reduce that for you. Um, Obviously that doesn't totally line up with what we would normally say in terms of, um, you know, exposure and things like that. Um, But but what about some strategies that you kind of would suggest or even ones that you've heard that maybe you've had to try to give some feedback about how that, you know, what's the actual function of this behavior that you're engaging with with this client? Um, you know, you may have this intention, but what's it actually doing? Any, any examples from folks you've worked with? I think your example around media is a really good one because, of course, we want people to be informed, Right. Um, But then we are hearing from people who are just obsessively kind of scrolling, doom scrolling news over and over all day long and kind of going deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole. Or I think, you know, there's some really angry pundits out there on the radio and on TV who you can't help but like pick up some of that emotion if you're, you know, listening to them um, a lot. And so, I, you know, I do think people need to sort of ask themselves that question of where's the line of I need I want to be informed. It's important that I'm informed to this is actually kind of becoming a, a destructive behavior for me where it just makes me feel worse. Um, and I do think, you know, th- these 
I've seen some research suggesting that this is kind of like your brain, it's almost like an addictive response where it's hard to put your phone down or to turn off the coverage. And so, um, so I do think people need to kind of, and something we as clinicians can help is work with people to find that line and, and find some strategies to shut it off when it's time to shut it off. I love doom scrolling. I've not heard that. That is my new take home <laughs> phrase from this podcast. I forget what it was from our last one we recorded, but yeah, doom Skew scrolling. Skewmorph, right? Doom well, scrolling. I was going to, it's, it's sort of interesting that you mentioned the difference between being informed and doom scrolling because formally, you know, topographically, that may look like the same thing. You're on your phone looking at stuff. Uh, and it seems like as you're kind of talking about it, it, it could be maybe a little bit tricky at first for, for you as a clinician, but also the, the person you're working with to get a sense of the difference between those two things. How might you begin to help raise the client's awareness and maybe even clarify for yourself, you know, when you're dealing with the doom scrolling slash being informed line, how might you cl- help clarify that with a client? Well, Andy, I can tell you what I've done to try to figure that out for myself. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah I'm listening because <laughs> asking for a friend. I, I this is not. <laughs> I mean, you know, really, after I get through the first like minute of Apple News, pretty much things are pretty redundant, you know. Um, so that's probably a time you know you can you can shut it down and feel informed. Um, you know, and, and I think some people just have the news on in the background. They have TV on in the background and maybe in normal times, that's fine. That's just a habit. But if right now they're finding it really activating and we've heard this um, from family members too, maybe they're the ones that recognize like, you know, he or she sits there and just gets more and more pissed off and it doesn't seem productive, you know? So I think people should listen, you know, to to their loved ones too. Maybe that's a good way to get this indication of when it's kind of crossed the line to unhealthy. And as you were answering there too, I, I guess maybe another sort of function that might get lost in that and tied up in it is the difference between, you know, bearing witness and just being consumed and, and getting into that ruminative, almost self-flagellation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yep. because I, we know that a lot of veterans, especially when they have um, experienced trauma and maybe do have some overlay of moral injury. It's hard. It's hard to look away and looking away seems like a betrayal. Mm, That's a really good point. Which is, which is a tricky situation too. And I, you know, I was wondering, Kelly, I'd be really curious to hear what you have to say about this too. When that particular issue comes up, how do you work with that? Cause that that's hard. That's really tricky. Well, the, the idea that, that we, we talked about earlier, um, I, I think the substrate on which all of this happens is validation. And, and you can't really do anything else until the client can kind of have that air taken out of, you know, okay, you hear what I'm saying. I'm, I, I, I can see and I can feel that you hear what I'm saying. And once you have that, I think you can have a conversation with a, a, a veteran or anyone about acting walking through their life on a day-to-day basis with intention. And so, you know, how much news do you think you need to listen to every day to be really informed? Could we put a time on it? Could we, could we schedule it in even? Because what, what is likely happening for them is that this news in the background, this, you know, is obsessive kind of ruminative watching is 
happening while they're trying to do other things and it's interrupting on there, you know, so they stop and they listen. And so you can point that out and talk about, you know, I want you to be informed. I want you to be able to, to listen with intention. And so what's a good amount of time? Can we schedule that in? And then when we're not doing that intentionally, can we turn it off completely and do something else intentionally that is part of those values, those, those activities that are important to you, part of your identity that are, that you want to be there for your family. You want to do well at work. You want to take care of your body and exercise, you know, those kind of things, do those with intention as well. Um, and that's hard for me to do on a regular basis. frankly. And so asking clients to do it, I really do know that I'm asking them to do something difficult. But I think even thinking about, you know, how much do we walk through our day with intention on a regular basis? And can we try to do it a little bit more, especially in those times when we have so much stimuli coming in that's going to knock us off our path and, and kind of take our choice away about what we're doing? So I think that might be a strategy people can use. It's almost like, you know, listening and validating gives you and the client an opportunity to maybe even devise a more effective way to honor the thing they're trying to honor. So whether it's, you know, if if it's about getting information, don't multitask, you know, Mm -hmm. really devote yourself to listening to that, you know, um, that news story or whatever. What's the best program? Yeah, exactly. You know, is it it those opinion programs or is it? you know, the, the press conference that gives the, the day-to-day happenings, you know, what, what's the best way to do it? Can we choose the one that gives you the right kind of information and, and not maybe do those others right now? I love these suggestions. One thing that I keep thinking about is something that I, I say in our workshops a lot um, is that, you know, I've, I've worked with PTSD for a very long time. And when I first began to be trained, we were working with Vietnam veterans and I was trained that we really didn't have anything useful to do, that we just had to do palliative care and try to get them through their lives as best we can. And although there are lots of parallels with Vietnam, we have so many more resources now. We have so much more knowledge. So this is not going to be Vietnam again, if we can help it. I mean, we, ha- we know more. We have more skills. We have more knowledge. I, I think, you know, we can, it, it, and maybe talking to our clinicians, not necessarily for clients to hear this, but for our clinicians to hear that because they need that um, assurance, I think. They need to be reassured that we know more than we used to know and we don't know everything. Um, we have skills. We have strategies. We have things that uh, we can do to make this better for our clients eventually. Um, even though we might not be able to take their distress away in the moment. And, and that actually, now that I'm saying that, that really gives me hope because I, I, I remember how that felt to be trained in, in a way like, okay, go help these people, but there's not really anything that we can tell you that you can do that's going to be really all that useful. <laughs> so well, we don't Kelly, have to say that. Speaking of there are things we can do, um, one of the things we always like to do is end our podcast with a couple of pieces of actionable intel, you know, little bits of advice that our listeners can use and start to implement right away in their practice. So, um, Sonia, Kelly, do you have a, a few suggestions that maybe could be really useful for our listeners as they're kind of working with veterans and service members who are, you know, feeling triggered by what's going on in Afghanistan right now? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of something novel to say, but I feel like a lot of these things have 
come up in the course of this conversation instead of listen, don't make assumptions, continue to check in, um, you know, uh, don't talk politics, I think is a really good one that Kelly brought up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to, to kind of lose your way there. Um, and, you know, certainly I would highly recommend um, people consider some resources um, like I'll mention some of our apps from the VA, like uh, Mindfulness Coach, uh, COVID Coach, which is just great stress management for things outside of COVID stress as well, PTSD Coach. So those are some, you know, concrete things they could recommend um, to patients. And certainly just, you know, work with folks on what helps them cope usually and how can they engage those, you know, healthy coping strategies now. I think the, the VA website, the NCPTSD website, has tremendous resources on it. And Sonia made us aware of those last week, and that was really helpful for our consultation clients. So referring people there, I think, clinicians to, you know, have a look at that material, read it over, because it can help you kind of reframe this sense of, of you know, crisis and urgency. And, and there are lots of things we can do. The other thing we haven't mentioned, I think, that might be available to some veterans and, and not others, but when it when it's available, I think you can take advantage of it, and that is connecting with other veterans. Um, there are some uh, vet center groups out there. Um, there are some groups that have organically um, coalesced even recently around this issue that I've heard about out, out there in, in the country. And so kind of scouting out some of those resources may be really useful for some veterans. That's not always the answer, but but if it's there and it, and it might be helpful, that, that could be something to offer. Social support is a very powerful thing. It's always the answer, right? <laughs> and I wanted to add one, I don't usually do this, but I wanted to add one piece of actionable intel. And it's actually the first thing that the both of you spoke about, especially you, Sonia, and, and that is, as a clinician, you know, realize that you probably have your own reactions mm -hmm. to this. And uh, I think it's been wonderful that we've all been able to kind of talk a little bit about that today, but, you know, um, certainly talk to your, your colleagues about your reactions and, and make sure you're taking care of yourself so that when you, you're going in there to work with your service members, you're as available as you can be. Absolutely are all great actionable intel items and we will put uh, links direct links to some of the resources mentioned uh, in the show notes so all of you listeners make sure you check there for the links that are both um, for providers you know directed toward providers and I know VA has done some wonderful ones uh, for, for directly to the veteran as well um, so those resources we will make sure to link out a huge thank you to both of you, Kelly and Sonia, for chatting today. And uh, we look forward to maybe circling back, um, you know, at a, at a future time and see if there's any other things that come up, uh, but always value the ability to have a discussion with our, with our, with our buddies over at VA uh, and Andy, you know, that this is it. You added your one piece of actual Intel. <laughs> now there's going to be a, a theme moving forward. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> and, Andy's actionable Intel. Right. Well, that's all I had. That's all I had. The <laughs> so maybe I should have waited to the last episode for that. Right. The big reveal. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today, and we look forward to having you join again on another episode of Practical for Your Practice. Take care and uh, have a good day.
Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.